Thank you. All right, so today we're starting a new series. Uh, it's called the Survival Series. So I'm really excited. It's going to be a lot of fun um, taking some of our favorite Bible stories, right? David and Goliath. We're going to talk about surviving Goliath today. We're going to talk about surviving Jezebel. We're going to talk about surviving Pharaoh. We're going to start looking at some of these stories that you grew up learning um, in, in, in Sunday school. And we're going to look at these stories and we're going to look at how how God's people were attacked through the enemy. And then what we're going to do is we're going to begin to learn how did God's people fight back? How did they come out victorious? Sometimes, most of the time. So, so what we're gonna do today, we're going to talk about surviving Goliath. So um, as we know, your enemy has many tactics. We've been studying this um, on our Wednesday night classes uh, about how the enemy loves to, to sneak in and get at your table. He loves to whisper in your ear. Um, one of the things that I just love about the series is, is how we're um, walking through some of the things, and it gives a scenario how quickly the enemy gets at your table, and he sits down, and he says, hey, is your, is your boss still a jerk? Man, I don't know how you, I don't know how you put up with him. Is your, is your wife still nagging you? Man, I can't believe that you've stayed married all these years. Are the kids still driving you? I mean, and what happens is he talks about how the devil just likes to sneak in and subtly get in your head. Quietly, he loves to just stir it all up. Have you ever gotten mad at somebody and you're, it didn't take you but a couple of days and your whole mind was stirred against whoever it is that upset you, right? And so, so the thing is, is that he has many tactics, but I want you to know one of the tactics is not always being subtle. Sometimes he loves to come at you as a roaring lion. Sometimes he wants to just come get right in your face. And that's what we're going to talk about today when your enemy is in your face. Now, when we talk about the enemy, as we were singing, the Lord just laid on my heart. Why don't we make sure that we understand the enemy? The enemy is not, when I say your enemy, it is not always just the, the devil and his demons. Sometimes it's the problem that you're facing. Sometimes that enemy that you're fighting is a sickness. Sometimes it is a circumstance. Sometimes you're going through a transition in life. Sometimes there's a... Um, uh, a death in the family or upcoming it, the, the enemy can be a whole lot of different things it's whatever you're fighting against that's what I'm wanting you to understand how many of you are fighting something okay so this is for you everybody that didn't raise their hand just uh I don't know play TikTok or no I'm just kidding don't do that don't do that so all right so surviving Goliath so today we're going to look at how the enemy loves to intimidate us right some of you may know somebody who uses intimidation. Intimidation would be, um, I'm better than you. It kind of makes me think of dodgeball. We're better than you, and we know it. That's intimidation. All right, so we're better than you. We want you to know it. And that's what intimidation seeks out to do. Intimidation, when your enemy is intimidating you, he's coming to you and he says, I am better than you. I want you to know that I'm better than you. And that's what intimidation does. Intimidation, and then the goal of intimidation is to create fear. I used intimidation in high school a lot as a wrestler. Um, I would, I, I, so I had, you know, I, I did two, I did three sports. You don't get any medals for playing football, but in track, I, I, I ran track because it gave medals. And so I would run all the events and I would get medals and then I wrestled and I got medals and pins and all cool kinds of patches and I would show up to every time you would weigh in at a tournament or or a wrestling match and I would walk in the first thing I did is I made sure that I had the meanest scowl that I could come up with 
and I'd have my letterman's jacket making sure all my medals were jiggling and walking, and I would walk in strutting like a, like a Tom Turkey, you know, so I'm, I'm coming in full intimidation mode, right? And then, then when we would weigh in, you know, that would be the last thing, you know, they'd, be, they'd call my weight. And what I really wanted in my mind was whoever was wrestling in my weight to be sitting there, and when I walked up to weigh and they were not in my weight class, go, I don't have to go against that guy. That's what I wanted, right? And, and so when I would weigh, I would make sure that my state medal was around my neck, extra intimidation, so I was in my skivvies and a medal. That was it. You know, now if a, my weight was really close, I had to shed that too. So, I mean, but I wanted everyone in that room to know who I was and to be intimidated by me because that gives me leverage. It gives me an advantage over my opponent. That's what intimidation is, to try to get you to believe what your intimidator is saying. If the intimidator is saying, I'm better than you, than that, and then you believe it, then you're going to begin to, I'm not good enough. See that? That's what, that's what Goliath was all about. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn. I'm going to have the scriptures on the, on, the, on the wall, but they may not always fit um, where you can read them because I, they're, they're we're going to be reading 1 Samuel 17. So if you've got your Bibles, turn there. Um, I want to set the stage. Philistines are the enemy of, of Israel. They're camped out to make war. So they, they make a camp. Then they come down typically in a valley, and they, they draw up their lines, and then they fight. Whoever wins, wins. Uh, whoever loses is running for their lives. So they're both camped on these two different mountains, and then they come down, these ridges, they come down and meet in the middle and fight. So the, the, the Philistines have, have, have camped out. Saul is uh, the current king of Israel. This is not Saul of the New Testament, okay? Two different people, two different, complete different times. But you have the first king of Israel, King Saul. David, which most of you know, this is the story about David and Goliath. David was not yet king. He was anointed as a king. Saul did not know that. But he was but a youth. Where's my youth? Raise your hand if you're in high school. Middle school can raise their hands too. Keep them up. All right, so youth, I hope that you're listening today because here's the deal. David was still a youth. In fact, they call him a boy. He wasn't even old enough to go to war. So he was the youngest of eight sons. He was not old enough to go to war. In fact, only the three older brothers were old enough to go to war. He was anointed to be the future king, but he was not yet the king. That's the scenario. Now in verse 4, we're going to bring this up. In verse 4, we see your enemy as it seeks to intimidate you. So a, a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and span. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail that weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he wore bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of the spear was like a weaver's beam. Not a rod, a beam. It's big. And an iron spearhead that weighed 600 shekels. And a shield bearer went before him. Then he stood and he cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? So choose a man from among yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight me and kill me, then we will be your servants. 
But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of the Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Everything that he was doing was all about intimidation. Everything that Goliath, everything that's listed here, everything that you begin to see, what he wore, what he looked like, everything was about intimidation. So your enemy will seek to intimidate you through the position of strength and power. They want to come to you. I'm stronger than you. I'm smarter than you. I have more money than you. Whatever they think that they have as a leverage against you, your enemy will come against you from the position of strength and power. Goliath was six cubits. That means he's over nine feet tall. All right? Nine feet tall. Gavin. Where's Gavin at? Where are you hiding at? Gavin. Gavin. Are you standing and I just don't see you? He's in the nursery helping. All right, come here. Yeah, Matthew. Yeah, you don't get a choice. Come up here. All right, so come on, right up here. Don't hold us up too long. Come on now. All right, so David was a youth. All right, Scott, come here. You're the next tallest guy that I know. Come here. All right, now, Scott, how tall are you? Six, seven. Six foot seven. How tall are you? You're not 5'11", I'm 5'10 and a half, and I'm taller than you. That's a lie. You're 5'6". Come over here. So, now, now he's a youth. This would be about the size, probably, that we're looking at with David. David was not a warrior. He was a little shepherd boy. He was even called a boy. Now, here's what's crazy. Stand up. Now, if I were to say that you two were going to get in a fight, would you want to fight him? Good, smart answer. Okay, so, all right, so you're smart. But, but here's the deal. He's six foot seven. He's not nine foot. How, how, far, how tall is nine foot? Like two and a half feet more than him, right? Two and a half, right? So, I mean, what I'm wanting you to see is that here is a youth. And, and, and so everything about Goliath. Thank you, guys. I, I just wanted to embarrass you and bring you up here. So thank you. Um, everything about Goliath was about to intimidate his, his enemies. He is taller than everyone, stronger than everyone, mightier, and they call him a champion. And here's the deal. Something to know about what's interesting about this historical setting here is this. He was wearing bronze. His helmet was bronze. His, His coat of armor was bronze. His javelin. Bronze was a symbol of what they would decorate their temples with. They would also, only typically the kings would have Bronze. So what happens is this would be a highly celebrated person, highly respected, highly honored. He would be their champion. So when he walks in, it would be like a Patrick Mahomes. Come on, right? Patrick Mahomes walks in, and everybody would be like, yes, that's our Kansas City Chief champion, right? You were excited in the front row, I'll tell you what. All right, so but what, what happens is when, when Goliath would step into the room, everyone knew who he was. He's the undefeated champion. And so they called him a champion, and even the Israelites called him a champion. And, and, they, and so they talked about his coat of, of scale armor, 5,000 shekels, 126 pounds. His jacket of metals was 126 pounds. 
He wore bronze greaves that were on his legs. He had a bronze javelin. His spear shaft was like a, a, a weaver's rod, but the point of it was 600 shekels. 15 pounds was just the tip, the sharp tip of his spear, 15 pounds. To give you an idea of this, high school shot put is eight pounds, and they push it. They don't throw it. If you make it good enough to the Olympics, it's 16 pounds. Again, they're pushing it. When you have a spear, you're throwing it. Just to give you the idea of the strength, this man was strong enough. Oh, you weren't in trouble. I was going to use you as an illustration to embarrass the boy that my daughter likes, but you missed out on it, but I embarrassed you anyways. That's <laughs> what happens when you like the pastor's daughter. <laughs> You guys weren't in trouble, really. So, all right. Or should you be? So anyways, okay. So, and not only did he have all of this equipment, but he also had another guy walking in front of him carrying a shield. You're not dealing with one guy, you're dealing with two. You got to get through the first guy to get to the second guy. Would you want to fight that? See, everything that he was doing was about intimidating them, and it worked. They were afraid. And guess what? In verse 16, I'm skipping ahead, but in verse 16, it even makes the reference that this happened for 40 days. 40 days, they're camped out. They're here to have war. He keeps coming out and says, no, we don't want to lose all of our army here. You don't want to lose all your army. Just pick somebody. We'll settle this between one man. We'll settle it all. I mean, that's what the whole point was. Let's, let's not destroy our armies. You bring your best, I'll bring my best. Whoever wins, wins. The other people have to serve them. I mean, this is a pretty good deal for the, uh, for the Philistines because they have a champion. It went on 40 days. Now, up to this point, verses 12 through 19, David's father, Jesse, now sends him and says, here's some bread, here's some cheese. I want to send you up to the battle lines. Go check on your brothers for me. Bring back a report. Now, we're going to pick up in verse 20. Verse 20, early in the morning, David left the flock in care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse, his father, had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. So here's Israel. They're all shouting out the battle cry. We're ready to fight today. Day 41. Maybe today's the day that we get to fight. We don't want to fight one-on-one. We want to, you know, it's kind of like a bunch of ants when they, when they attack a, a, a scorpion, they win. Why? Because there's a lot of them. The scorpion never wins unless it's a one-on-one. So here Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their battle lines facing each other. David left his things at the keeper. He ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath the Philistine, the champion of Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. Key word there, defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled and ran from him. So they're all, they all, the lines came together, we're ready to fight, and they're all giving out their best battle cry. Goliath steps out, I want to fight. Everybody runs. They thought maybe if we wait long enough, maybe he'll get sick and stay in bed. I don't know. But they ran. They ran from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king 
will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt him from all the taxes. Just, I guess it would kind of depend on what kind of a daughter he has on whether you really wanted to sign up for that fight. So I could go fight this guy, and if I live, I have to marry your daughter. Are you sure? Is there any other daughter that you have that I might like a little bit better, right? I mean, you know, you, that could have went in either way, but I guess this one must have been, um, you know, adding to the pile. Hey, will anybody fight and die? Okay, nobody wants to do that, so you don't have to pay taxes. Okay, well, uh, not taxes, but I'll throw my daughter in here. Don't give any ideas, just saying. Okay. So, one of the things that I want you to know is this. The enemy not only seeks to intimidate, but one of the ways that he wants to intimidate you is this, through defiance. So not only did he come out showing that he was strong, showing that he was big, showing off his equipment and how, how, how big his spear was and, and how, how large somebody had to carry his shield and, 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 and all the bronze that he was wearing and I'm a champion and I, I defy you. Now he's, now he's going on to defy. It comes from a Hebrew word, haraf za'am, and it means to taunt. He was making fun of them. So not only did he show his strength and power, I'm better than you, but what he comes out, now he's making fun of you. Oh man, you're so small, because the, the Jewish people were not known to be big. So, oh, you're a little guy. Oh, you know, hey, look at you, what, what are you guys? And so he's making fun of them, taunting them, trying to pick a fight. Have you ever had somebody who trying to pick a fight with you, and they were bigger than you? It's usually how that kind of works, isn't it? He's insulting them. He's trying to pick a fight. So let me go on. Verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who stood around him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You hear this? This is what a youth is saying. Everybody else is running for their tents and hiding. And here's the youth going... Why, are, why is somebody, what I love about youth is the fearless courage they often have. They sit there and go, you teach me all the time that God is all powerful. You teach me that he's sovereign, that he's in control. Why is everybody whining about this? And, why is, and so here's David going, now what I know about God is he's undefeated in battle and this guy's over here mocking and he's never been to a battle before and he's like, he's, He's defying, he's making, he's insulting the armies of the living God. Who's going to kill this guy? See, that's, that's something I would expect from a youth. Because what they know is what, you've been, what they've been taught. A youth sits around and says, you know what? You said God's all-powerful, let's roll. While the adults are like, well, yeah, God is all-powerful, but you know, we, we, you know we, I just, yeah, yeah, but, 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 right? Isn't that what we do? God is all-knowing, and he has all the wisdom I need for this situation, but, but, I really need to see what my friends on Facebook say. I mean, don't we do that, though? See, what I love about youth is when they, they're like, okay, I'm fired up for God. We can do anything. See, that's David. David's like, he's a kid. And he's like, well, hey, why isn't somebody fighting this? Unser I mean, that's an insult to them. Who to, to re remove the reproach of this uncircumcised Philistine. What he's saying is that jerk wagon over there doesn't have any part in what God's promised us. That's what he's saying. I don't know if jerk wagon is a, is a name, but I kind of liked it. It felt fun. 
So he says, what shall be done for the man who kills them? Now, now then all of a sudden his brother, his oldest brother, Eliab, when he, when he spoke to the men, Eliab's anger aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom did you leave these few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. You've come down to see the battle. Here's his older brother joining in. You're just a kid. What are you even doing here? You just came to see a battle. You just came to see a fight. David said, what have I done? Is there not a cause? He's sitting here going, what have I done? David is probably burning a little bit with his own anger because think about this. He's looking around questioning the adults. Why has no one killed that jerk wagon? That's going gonna, gonna to catch on. I feel it. I mean, seriously, he's saying, what, what's going to, so he's asking all these different people, what's going to happen to the guy? You know what's going to, so you're going to not have to pay taxes, you're going to get a beautiful woman, and, and all this, and you're going to be made wealthy, and you're going to be like the son-in-law of the king, that's a pretty good deal, why aren't you fighting him? So he's saying, do I not have a cause to ask the questions? Why has no one stood up and removed the reproach of the enemy? See, what's amazing, you look at it now in our terms. How many times do we allow the enemy just to beat us down and beat us down and we walk around depressed, we walk around discouraged, we walk around defeated, all the while someone's looking, why? Why have you allowed the enemy to step on your neck when he's already lost? See, that's what David's saying. David's saying, why has no one removed the reproach of the enemy? So that's what I say to you today. If you're under attack, why have you not removed the reproach of the enemy in your own life? You've already won. But we're walking around defeated. He continues to speak. These words have now reached Saul. And he reported to Saul and he sent for him David. So then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail. I just love this. this remember, this is a youth. Youth, I hope you're really listening today. I love this story because I think sometimes youth are sometimes just brutally honest to the point of like, I don't understand why somebody hasn't cut that guy's head off yet. It just makes sense. Why has no one, child, 41, are you kidding me? 41 days, no one has had the courage to stand up against this jack wagon? I don't know. So anyways, so, so here he says, so he says, so Saul, he says, let, this is what David, the boy, says to a king. Let no man's heart fail because because of him, your servant will go fight him. Here's a youth. I'll fight him. I'll fight him. No one else wants to. I'll do it. I'll fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine and fight with him. You are but a youth. Some, I think the King James says you're but a boy. You're a little boy. You can't do this. And he's been killing people from his youth. See, what the enemy loves to do is he loves to seek to intimidate you through your own allies. 
You see, I want you to notice something. You see what the, the, the enemy was doing here is he was, his intimidation is going from, from vertical. It's going down. He's like, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. I'm stronger than you. I'm wiser than you. I have more resources than you. I have more money than you. I have a better position than you. I have better authority than you. I am just better than you then what happens is the one who's getting beat down and bullied, right? The one that's getting beat down is starting to feel pretty small. So you know what they have to do? They have to beat up on somebody else to feel better. The only way that Eliab, because he didn't have the courage to stand up to Goliath, the only way he could feel bigger is to put down his little brother. The only way that King Saul could feel better about being King Saul when he was, do you know this about King Saul? Let me tell you something about King Saul. King Saul was shoulders higher than all the other fighting men. When he was selected, it said that he was not a head taller, shoulders taller. He was the biggest warrior that Israel had, King Saul. He was the king, so it's his responsibility to protect Israel. He would have been their greatest warrior. He'd been fighting it since he was young too. King Saul was too scared to do it. And so he says, you know what? You're not able to. So what happens is when we get put into those kind of positions and we get beat down, what do we start doing? Sometimes then we start beating up the people right next to us. How many times have you found in your life that when life just gets you down, you end up knocking down the person closest to you? How many times? Come on. Usually it's your spouse or your children or your parents, right? Isn't that what we typically do? The person that you love the most, the person that you're spending the most time with, when life beats you down, that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to intimidate and destroy you so that you'll destroy those around you. Now he's not only defeated you, but he got you to defeat everybody around you. Woo, come on now. Where's all the excitement now? Isn't it true? See, I'm wanting you to understand how the enemy works so that you can stand up to him. Put a stop to it. So he says, you can't do it. I want you, anybody ever deal with a bully? Right, I know, I know that's a, the thing that's being talked about at school all the time. Bully, bully, bully. I want you to know something about a bully. The bully is the most insecure person in the school. And the only way for the bully to feel better about themselves is to make fun of someone else that makes them feel better about themselves. Next time somebody bullies you, you just tell them that you love them. It's okay, I love you. God loves you. I want to tell you about someone who never leaves me, never forsakes me, and that's Jesus. And whatever you do to me today, I want you to know about somebody who has helped me in my own insecurity. You might get punched. I'm not going to lie to you. But it's a chance I'm willing to take with your face. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. That was really, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I, I do want you to understand. Oh, good. Like, Pastor, you can't talk like that. All right. So what I do want you to understand, though, is when you're dealing with a bully, you're dealing with insecurity. They already have a miserable life in their own eyes. Maybe their home life is terrible. Maybe their, 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 their friend circle is terrible. But whatever their life is going right now, they're feeling so bad about themselves that they have to pick on somebody else to feel better. That's what a bully does. And see, what happens is when the enemy starts knocking you down, he tries to get you to start knocking others down. 
That's why I say the enemy seeks to intimidate you through your own allies. They were so afraid, they didn't think anyone could win. Not even God. Wasn't this Israel the nation of God? Is that not God's people? Come on, right? A whole, their whole history started with Pharaoh. We're the children of God. No one messes. You will know that Israel has a God. You know, I mean, that's their whole thing, right? Now all of a sudden an enemy stands up and like, I don't think anyone can do this. I want you to remember the, the goal of intimidation is fear. Fear can often cause us to rely on ourselves instead of trusting in God. And this is where we often go wrong. Check this out. David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it, and I struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by the beard, and I struck it and killed your servant has killed both a lion and a bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing that he has defied the armies of the... See, you see that? He's not just saying, I want to go out and fight. He's like, this is going to happen because. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? Seeing that... So, so your servant has killed a lion and a bear. This uncircumcised will... Philistine will be like one of them seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. Because he's defied the armies of the living God, he's a dead man. He's, he's done. He's defied the wrong one. See, David's not worried about size. He's not worried about military strategy. He's just like, this guy's wrong, and I'm willing to. If no one else has the courage to stand for God, I will. That's what it is. If no one else has the, has the strength, the courage, and the boldness to stand for God, I will. And you know what? That's what I love about youth. Sometimes when all the adults are chickened out, the youth, the youth will rise up and say, you know what? If no one else will, I will. So he says, uh, moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. How awesome is that? The confidence and courage here. See, when you face your problems, do you have that kind of courage? When we have problems in our lives, the storms in our lives, when they approach, do we stand like this or are we like the rest of the Israelites who run from and are afraid of the things and the storms that are coming in our life? Check this out. And Saul then said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So then Saul, so Saul, so go, go and the Lord be with you, but wait. <laughs> go, the Lord be with you, but wait. Let me put my armor on you. I hope that you catch this, my armor, that's Saul's armor. So Saul dressed him, clothed him with his armor. I'm too chicken to go, but will you wear my armor? Will you represent me? Come on, you guys, you got to, how many times have we read this story and missed that part? Saul's too chicken to do what he should be doing as the king. Will you wear my armor and go? So David, you know, he puts it on and he walked around and then David, so David took them off. 
He took his staff in his hand and he chose five small stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's bag in a pouch in which he had and a sling in his hand and he went and drew near to this Philistine. I can't fight with that. I'm going to get five little tiny rocks, put them in my... I would have got... I would have been like, can I borrow somebody's shepherd's bag? And I would have had like five of them with like 900 rocks. I mean, we're like... We're, we're, I'm slinging a lot. You know, like, this is going to be like a shotgun. I'm coming at you. You know, like, just give me another rock, you know. But he fixed five. What if you run out? What if you hit the bronze helmet that's on his head and you miss your mark five times? You see what I'm saying? He walks, he grabs five stones, puts them in his shepherd bag. He has a staff, a wooden stick. Here I go. Here we go. Can you imagine what that would have looked like to everyone else? They're like, okay, so this kid's going to die. What's next? Like, what's going to happen after this? Because I would have expected Saul to be like, yeah, no, you're not doing this. If you're not doing it my way, you're not doing this at all. But 41 days, something's got to give. And he's the only one who's volunteered. So we might as well try something, right? See, a lot of times, the enemy, when we are, when we come to a place where we find ourselves that we are intimidated, it can often cause us to rely on our own strength. Have you ever kind of found your place when you, when you find a problem that's bigger than you, and then you're still trying to figure it out? How many of us went right there, right? I got a problem, now what do I need to do? I got, this, I got this situation in my life, now what do I got to do? And we rely on our own wisdom, our own strength, our own tactics, right? See, that's where we often go wrong. But I love this. We rely on our own strength, our own wisdom, our own weapons. But check out this. So he's drawing near to the battle lines. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him, so there's still two of them, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy. Glowing with health and handsome. And he despised him. Despise mean hated. He hates you. I need you to understand this. Your enemy hates you. He is not your friend, doesn't want to be your friend. He hates you. He'll pretend to be your friend, but he hates you, despises you. And he says to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine then cursed him by his God. So now he gets a good cussing. Not only am I going to taunt you about coming at me with a stick, now I'm going to cuss you out in front of everybody. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Can you imagine being a youth, small, and a nine-foot murderer, strong as they come, gifted in killing, heartless, wants to kill you, standing in front of you saying, come here, I'm going to kill you and give your flesh to the birds to eat. 
Can you imagine that moment, right? That might be the moment that, that David kind of looked back and said, Saul, uh, second thought. I mean, right? I mean, this would probably be that moment of like, oh, but not for David. See, I want you to understand that when you have true confidence in God, look at David. I already told you that he hates you. Now check this out. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and with spear and with javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. <laughs> I'm going to read that again because I don't think we got this. All right. You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of our Lord. Right? Coming against you, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day. So he said, here he is, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. Woo, come on, David. David's got a little game here. Come on, you know, you, know, you have the big guy, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you and give your flesh. And like, oh, that's, that's what you got? I'm, gonna, you, I'm coming to you. In the name of my God, and I'm going to take your head from your shoulders. <laughs> I'm like, David, come on now. I mean, if you're going to talk, talk, right? I mean, do you see the boldness of a youth standing for God? And he says, I'm going to remove and take your head from you, and this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the fields. He's like, I'm not going to just kill you. I want you to see, see, the Philistine said, I'm just going to kill you and give your body to the flesh. David says, I'm, not only am I going to win, but I'm going to remove your head from your shoulders, and then I'm going to turn all of the Philistines into the carcasses for the birds. Everyone's going down for this one. <whistles> Have you ever talked to your problems like that? Have you ever looked at that problem, that issue coming at you? You know what? I'm going to remove your head from your shoulders and you're going down. You picked on the wrong person. But see, often what we do, we just kind of cower and say, I know, I know I'm no good. I know I'm worthless. I know that I can't get through this. I know that I'm not very smart, and I'm not very strong. What we do is we just allow that enemy just to continue to knock us down. That's not David. David teaches us a whole new lesson that can change your life today. He goes on to say that I'm going to give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. I'm going, to, I'm going to make sure that when we're done with you, Goliath, and everybody else, that everyone's going to know that there's a God in this house. Right? Then the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spirit, for the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. You see, we keep fighting battles that don't belong to us. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. It's not your battle. So often we go with our strength and we lose and we wonder why. Why am I losing at life? Because it's not your battle. Then he says, not only do I want the world to know that there's a God in Israel, I want the Israelites to know there's a God in Israel because they had forgotten it, hadn't they? 
the entire army had forgotten. How many times does a church forget that there's a God in that house? Huh? Come on now. How many times have you forgotten that there is an almighty, undefeated God that lives in your heart right now that's far greater than whatever's coming against you? And how many times do we still fold? Come on. How many times do we still fold and we fall back and we, we, we hang our head as if we're defeated? So I'm going to give you guys three things. See, this is where the enemy made his mistake. <laughs> this is where he made his mistake because he didn't know who he was messing with. So he forgot who he was fighting with. So I'm going to give you a couple of things. <clears throat> so in verses... 45, 46, we just read all of these. So here's the thing. The enemy forgot that David was God's anointed. Now this could be somewhere where somebody might say, I, I, don't, I think we have a lot of teachings around the world that just make us out to be nothing but a worm. Sometimes I hear pastors teaching and preaching and it makes us out that we're nothing more than a pile of steaming dung on the ground. You ever hear something like that? I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. That sounds more like the enemy than God's word. But that, and that's why we have so many people in churches that still have the struggle, I'm not good enough. Because they've been taught they're nothing, they're nothing, they're nothing, they're nothing. Here's what the enemy forgot and did not even know, that David was God's anointed. <laughs> you don't mess with God's anointed. You're not going to mess with God's anointed one. Now, I want to ask you something. How many of you believe that you are a part of God's anointed? Only half of you believe that. Half of you are like, I don't know. What's the answer, Pastor? It's okay. In the Old Testament, they were anointed by a prophet with oil. And it said that Samuel took a horn of oil. This is 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, the chapter before 17. And anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. From that day forward, that day forward, the Holy Spirit was with David. David was the anointing of God because he carried the Spirit of God. You hear me? He's the anointing of God because he carries the Spirit of God. Come on. He's the anointed of God because he carries the Spirit of God. You guys following me yet? And the enemy can't defeat the Spirit of God. Then why are we losing? Right? Because we're not living in the truth. So here's the deal. As the anointed, I'm going to go through each one of these points, and, and, and I have one more slide after this, just to let you know so that you guys can make sure you're really amped up at the end. I want a lot of amens at the end so that we, you know. So, all right. So, I want you to hear this. 1 John chapter 2. I've been teaching in 1 John through our tidbits on, on Monday through Friday, the mornings. And this is one of the passages that we talked about. Verse chapter 1, or chapter, 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. But you have the anointing from the Holy One. You have an anointing from the Holy One. Then it goes on in verse 26, and it says, These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. That's your enemy. But the anointing which you have received from him lives in you. The anointing you have received lives 
in you. In other words, that when you are saved and you receive the Holy Spirit, you are now anointed by God, making you an anointed one. Praise God for that. I, I think a lot of times we, we get so caught up and I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. S- says where? It says I've sinned and I've fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. It says that when I was living in the old way of my life, I was wicked. But now I'm redeemed. Now I'm justified. Now I'm anointed by God. I'm not the garbage from before. You see, when you start reminding the enemy, hey, do you know who I am? Yes, I see that you're big. I see that you've got money. I see that you've got power and strength. I see these things, but do you know who I am? I have the Holy Spirit of a living God inside of me, and you can't win. You see, the first thing that he did as an anointed, when you come against the enemy, guys, if you don't write anything else down, write this down. As the anointed, we come against the enemy in the name of God. Not in your name. This was never about Saul. This wasn't about David. It was about you defied the armies of the living God. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin. I come against you in the name of God. You see, when you fight your enemy, the first thing that you do is remind your enemy whose team you're on. I'm coming against you in the name of God. You've already lost. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him, that's Jesus, and given Jesus the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those of earth and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Every single human being, that's ever been born in all of history, when they stand before God Almighty, will take a knee and they will confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord. That's going to happen. Whether they want to or not, it's happening. Every knee will bow when they stand before God Almighty on His throne. That's the name, the enemy. See, the enemy wants to make you think that he's too tough for Jesus. Jesus already won. Number two, we as the anointed, we know the battle belongs to the Lord. When you start realizing that that circumstance, the problem that's in your life, it's not really your problem, it's God's problem because he's already anointed you with his Holy Spirit. And the moment that he adopted you as a child, your problem became his problem. So whenever a boy hurts my daughter... She's not his problem. I am the father. (sighs) Okay, so. My daughters were like, I'm never going to get a boyfriend. (laughs) All right. So, but the thing is, think about that though. How real is that? How many of you fathers in this room, if somebody messes with your kid, you're coming with everything you got? How many? I mean, I'll tell you what. Somebody messes with my kid, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'll go to jail. I don't care. You mess with the wrong family. 
Do you not think your God the Father thinks the same thing? You mess with my kid, I'm coming. The Lion of Judah's coming. You better watch out, devil, I'm coming. See, when you're in a battle, you remember, this is my father's battle. He adopted me into his family. It's his battle. Woo! And number three. The anointed, as the anointed, then we face our enemy with confidence and courage. When you start realizing that you are the anointed of God because you have his spirit, when you realize that, that you carry the name of God because you're a child of God, when you realize that this battle's not yours, doesn't that give you confidence? I, I want you to picture, okay, close your eyes for a moment and picture whatever your problem is. Please don't picture your spouse. Okay? <laughs> because this will be terrible if you do. I want you to picture whatever evil thing you're fighting against, whatever sickness, whether it's health, Whatever is, 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 maybe it's a financial problem, whatever you think the devil is sending at you, I want you to picture it. Okay, just picture it. Now, maybe some of us have been losing this battle up to this moment. Okay? But this is the moment that changes it. I want you to picture that problem in front of you. Now, what I want you to do is this. You don't have to picture it, but I want you to picture it. It's already true. Now, I want you to picture... Jesus right next to you. And he said, this battle's mine. Will that give you courage and boldness to face this circumstance in your life, this crisis that's coming in your life? If you, if you, you, you knew he was right next to you and he says, this is my battle. I got this. Would you face it differently than what you are right now? How many of you would say, you know what, if I knew that Jesus was standing right next to me and he said, it's all his how many of you would raise your hand and say, I would be doing this differently right now? Then today's the day it changes. Because he's inside of you. When you, if you are truly saved, he's already in, he's in your heart. He's there. He says, I'm never leaving you. I'm never forsaking you. So today, you can then say, you know what? I'm coming against my problem in the name of Jesus, the name that's above all names. I, I am understanding that this battle is not mine anymore. I'm giving it to my Father in heaven. And I'm going to be able to walk with boldness and confidence moving forward from this day on. So let me finish out the story. So it was when the Philistine arose and he came to draw, draw near to David that David hurried and ran when I think of that, hurried and ran. My, my little daughter, is, is Chloe in here? Is she, is she not here? Nursery? Well, she wanted me to mention her running, so I was going to do that. I guess it wouldn't have mattered if I did or not. So he hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and he slung it, and he struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead. He fell on his face to the earth. Everybody's probably pretty shocked at this part. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. He struck the Philistine and killed him, but he had no sword in his hand. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his own sword. I'm not going to kill you with my sword. I'm going to take your own sword and remove your head. I love the boldness. I wish we had this kind of boldness in our faith. 
He, he pulled, he drew it out of its sheath and killed him, cut his head off. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel, of Judah, arose and shouted. They were laying down. Like, arose? I mean, okay, all right. Arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance to the valley of the gates of Ekron and wounded and the Philistines fell along the road. They just killed them all the way down the road. We're done. All of a sudden, one youth stood up to the enemy and it gave courage to everyone else. What if you were the one God used to give courage to others because of how you faced your problems? What if you changed how you faced your problems and your circumstances and the storms of life? Because guess what? We're all going to suffer. The world's going to be tough. It's, it's just, that's how it is. What if you were the one who changed everything around the people around you because they saw how you handled the crises? I just gave it to God, put the name of Jesus over it, gave the battle to him, and I stood up and I faced it with boldness and courage. You see, this was a complete reversal for all my wrestling fans. <clears throat> a reversal would be if I was in a downward position and somebody was over me, they had control. A reversal would be when I would move from the position of <laughs> the bottom position to the top position. It was a complete reversal. The enemy thought he had David right where he wanted him. But it was a complete reversal. That's what happens when the anointed children of God, they stand in the name of Jesus and they give the battle to the Lord and they face their fears with courage and confidence. It's time for you to face your fear. It's time for you to face your problems, your struggles, whatever is coming against you, it's time. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to think about whatever the battle that you're facing right now, that battle. Some of you right now need to remember who you are. You're the anointed of God. And today is maybe the day where right now you need to take that problem and drop it at the altar of God and say, God, this battle is yours. I'm tired of fighting. If you're tired of fighting the battle, I'm just going to ask you to get up out of your seat, quietly come forward and sit it down at the altar. If you're tired of fighting, if you're tired of the battle, then stop fighting it. Give it to God. If you've been fighting in your own strength, I'm going to ask you to come on up and I'm going to ask you to declare the name of Jesus over this problem. Whatever it is, whatever that circumstance is, whatever the issue, whatever the battle, right now, you declare the name of Jesus over that battle. And you stand, when you stand up from this altar, when you've given this battle to God, 
when you've turned it all over to him, this is your battle. God, I can't do this anymore. I'm giving it to you. I can't fight this thing anymore. I can't, I can't win. God, it's yours. Now, here's what a lot of people forget. David still had to go out and fight that battle. But it wasn't him fighting. It was God fighting through him. So many times we say, I gave it to God, but I went back and I fell right back into the same thing. Well, you still have to go out and let God fight this through you. Give it to him. Claim the name of Jesus over it. When you stand up from this altar, when you stand up, you remember this. You are to face it now. When you surrender it to Him, you call the name of Jesus over it, then you stand up and you will face it with boldness and you're going to face it with courage and you're going to attack back. You're going to run. You're going to take this fight to it. Whatever it is, if it's an addiction, if it's a fear, if it's a, a, a struggle, you're going to stand up with courage and boldness knowing that God's got this and you're going to face it. In fact, David ran. He ran to it. He didn't wait for it to show up on the door. He went after it. So when you stand up today, when you leave these doors today, you walk in the boldness and the courage that God has given you. It says in the Bible that all His perfect love has driven out all fear. You no longer walk in fear. You're a child of God. You will not walk in fear anymore. You're going to walk out of these doors with courage and strength that come from God. And you're going to face your fears. You're going to face your problems. You're going to face your circumstances. You're going to face your crisis in the name of God. And you're going to give that battle to Him. But you're going to face it. Change the way you fight from this day forward. 